Grab a cuppa and take a seat. This is the Disability Podcast. Hi and welcome back to the Disability Podcast. This week myself, Steve and Cameron are joined by Emily, who's going to be discussing her bipolar. So to kick us off, have you got kind of like a rough definition of what bipolar is to you? Sure. So bipolar is a mood disorder. I suppose bipolar to me is kind of a crazy night out, right? You've got the best time ever. You're, you feel like the king of the world, queen of the world, person of the world, and everything it's just going your way, right? Everything is just so fun. Everyone's dancing. There's good music. You're having a few drinks. But then, as comes with all nights out, occasionally there's that big blip and there's that big drop and then somehow everything just falls apart and you have arguments, you're shouting, you just feel like, why did you even decide to go on the night out in the first place? So if we take that as a metaphor and the night out is life, then I suppose bipolar is a journey it's a wild ride to me but on a on a medical basis you would describe it as a mood disorder and you have extreme manic highs and uh, depressive lows and now how long are these uh like nights out would you say is it um a couple of days apart from each other or could they last weeks well it really depends i was never initially diagnosed with bipolar so that is a whole other journey where coming to terms with my diagnosis was really tricky because the mood swings it's not quite as simple as saying a few days here if you have a few days of the low then don't worry you've got a week of the high coming up it, it's not quite that simple and it varies from person to person but my early experiences of experiencing these mood swings is I just remember having a really feeling really good just that buzz of, oh, I'm so excited, kind of like the day before your birthday or Christmas growing up. And that could last for a week, a few weeks, and it would steadily build. And I just remember typically that is joined with this intense anxiety that that also builds and builds. And before the low comes in, it just all sort of bubbles over and For me, the low then just comes crashing in like a train wreck and that can last, again, weeks, um, the other end. So it's really tricky, but I would say for me, they tend to come right after the other. And Emily, I was going to ask, I mean, do you find, I mean, this maybe sounds daft, but this is based on me not really knowing anything about anything. Do you tend to find that one will be more prevalent than the other or is it kind of always in equal measure that there'll be the highs and the lows I suppose I'm only asking that because I think I've said to you before that from my experience of knowing you I probably have felt like I I haven't seen maybe I'd say like the more low side you know I probably I probably automatically when I think of you I think of joy and enthusiasm (laughs) and all things that I probably associate with you know I wouldn't necessarily say a high but you know what I mean I, I guess what I feel is like do you you totally experience both things in equal amount is that is that the way it works well growing up I only had experience of those lows and it's interesting how you say that 
that's how you see me because mm. that's always the person I was trying to be at school growing up, right? I, I would put all my energy into being happy. I really just have this, I still do, don't know why I say it as if I've gotten over it, but I have that intense desire for everyone to like me because it doesn't make sense because, you know, I don't like everyone. I don't know why I think everyone has to like me. They can have their own lives. I should respect their decision. But I think it stemmed from wanting to be liked and also just really enjoying being a people person. You know, I'm extroverted. I really do get a lot of energy from people around me. And I think if everyone else is having a good time, then it sort of gives permission for you to have a good time. So growing up, I always remember putting a lot of energy into that. And actually, I never felt that was unusual, mm. but these lows started creeping in and mm. you have a stressful time at school. You've got the exams, you've got other things going on and you're a teenager, you're experiencing all those hormones. And, and that's when my mid to late teens, I started to feel very depressed and it would take its toll on me because I'd spent all my energy being really happy and I'd be at school and I'd get home and I'd just be absolutely drained. Mm. And for the for the end of my teens and even very early 20s that's kind of what the doctors thought was going on I was diagnosed with depression and some anxiety a little dash of anxiety shove that in there why not and um, (laughs) then also my early 20s diagnosed with ADHD so there are a lot of different things going on and I think my relationship with bipolar and, and how it developed and manifested itself in me is quite typical of people where you are initially diagnosed with depression and it is in your early 20s it starts to really become apparent because you start to experience these highs which are not just you're in a good mood and it's really really difficult to diagnose or come to terms with so it it's very tricky when you have these so I'm actually just going to stop talking I'm sorry I'm just ranting away keep going no it's all good so Emily could you maybe tell us about your diagnosis and how it sort of came about sure so the process of me being diagnosed actually follows quite a typical diagnosis for people in their early 20s. So you are initially diagnosed with depression, which is what I was diagnosed with in my late teens. And they threw in a dash of anxiety in there too. And then I also was diagnosed with ADHD in my early 20s. And those three can present symptoms and behaviours that are quite typical of bipolar, but also in their own right, that combination, I think, kind of emulates a lot of that. So, so it's quite tricky to, to get that bipolar diagnosis. But then in my early 20s, the highs and lows started to become a little bit more apparent and typical of bipolar. And that's when it upgraded, if you will. Not sure it's an upgrade. Um, <laughs> and I was, yeah, given the bipolar to diagnosis in the states actually so that's something else which is quite important to add the way of diagnosing is slightly different in the UK and the states so in the states the period of time when you're in each state not not I mean I was in California but no each (laughs) mental state so either manic or depressed are shorter they fluctuate more quickly and whereas in the UK they initially didn't agree with the diagnosis because they say no you need longer in each state for it to be classified as bipolar so how so you you mentioned ADHD anxiety depression what's kind of the biggest indicator that it is bipolar and not just kind of all of those things mixed 
I suppose it's, it's really tricky. I think it's it's coming off that high into a really extreme low and you're not always feeling low. The reason I think it was very difficult to diagnose for me is because I was di- I was diagnosed with depression, as I mentioned, but also after a bit prescribed antidepressants. Mm. And I think they just muted everything. You know, I remember a year of really not feeling like me at all, which is obviously quite scary, but it meant that those highs I don't think could get through. Even if they were getting through, all that felt like to me was, oh, I feel a bit normal now, Mm. you know, because they were just capped and everything was brought down, which meant when I started to come off the antidepressants, that's when they were starting to think maybe it's bipolar because of the moods. And once I was off the antidepressants, I think that's when they saw the extremes of of my mood and they then thought, no, that it's not depression at all. That really does fit the bipolar diagnosis because of that contrast. And I think it's not just, oh, I feel a bit happy today. It's, oh God, this is the best thing ever. I just feel that buzz. I remember, you know, just wanting to dance. I would walk and just dance along. (laughs) Still, I really recommend that if anyone feels so inclined. (laughs) But you just... (laughs) Little things like that, you know. Toby Maguire and Spider-Man 3. <laughs> exactly. I, I just, you, you, I didn't need to sleep as much. I was just so interested in everything. So that contrast and that building up and then that, it's honestly like a light switch going off and you just feel absolutely, I couldn't do anything but sleep. The idea that I would ever not need just to be in bed all the time is kind of alien. So I, I suppose it's that. It's not just feeling a little bit happy and a little bit sad. It's more than that. It's your brain is really impacted. And it it impacted my ability to do things day to day. And I think that's when they said, no, no, not just depression. No, no, (laughs) you got bipolar, (laughs) which I didn't believe. Um, I also, I was wondering about, you know, in terms of getting to the point of being diagnosed, whether there was warning signs and things that you had just noticed yourself or whether it came as a result of people around you maybe mm-hmm. feeling like it was something that needed to check. Because so, I suppose I'm thinking from the point of view of everyone listening in, you know, what way <laughs> what way are there warning signs or any signs at all of, of how somebody might uh, get to that point? Sure. So mental health is so difficult to mm-hmm. diagnose, I think, for your for yourself because you can just it's everything's relative right you feel a little bit rubbish but it's only a little bit more rubbish than how rubbish you felt the day before and you don't you're not as aware of how much you're slipping in terms of what's normal or quite unquote normal so sometimes it does take other people that's the first time I went to the doctor about depression it was my best friend at school said Emily you are depressed and I just didn't believe it and that's the same with these slight highs I just didn't see anything wrong how could it felt so natural I wasn't doing anything to you know I wasn't deliberately I wasn't particularly I wasn't being that reckless to get these moods I wasn't drinking a lot that it was it was just natural so it didn't feel it was other people actually saying to me no this isn't quite right and it luckily got me to the stage where I was seeing healthcare professionals regularly so they could actually have a history of my mood which it means you're not just trusted to say everything yourself you know there is documented yeah. evidence because that's something that's so tricky is to give engage how you're feeling and then not only gauge how you're feeling to yourself but accurately convey that to a professional who's then gonna assess you so yeah. it's very tricky and I think the when I was in the states I was studying on a year abroad when I, I had a, a sort of crisis I, I was in I was feeling very very low and my friend came in to my room and sort of did a quick assessment of the situation and, and immediately called up 
the um, counselling service for uni. And that's when the, the control sort of taken out of your hands a little bit. You know, you, you've somebody else is saying, no, I can see there's something wrong. And then you get people involved and they can also affirm that. But it's very tricky. And I don't think you have to necessarily be presenting symptoms that other people spot. You People could be very clever at masking these things to themselves and to other people. Yeah. So it's very tricky. I was lucky enough that other people spotted it, but I've always struggled with really feeling justified in how I'm feeling. I sure. still feel part of me still after everything that I've been through with my mental health kind of thinks, nah, I just made it up. Like, God, you're good. You're good at acting. You really <laughs> conned everyone around you. I mean, and, and it's, it's a really hard feeling to shake. So it's very it's an interesting one to think about actually and do you um take medication for it now like is there kind of specific medication that you can take for the bipolar I know you mentioned you took like antidepressants but obviously that's kind of like a different like subsection of it is there like how do you kind of manage it I suppose yeah so there are a lot of different medications out there interestingly the one I'm on now uh, is uh, just a mood stabilizer whereas before I've had to be taking uh, antipsychotics and tranquilizers depending on what state I'm in so when I was really manic in the past there was an episode that was particularly bad in 2018 and I was then given a lot of antipsychotics and various yeah as I say tranquilizers so that was um was oncotiapine and there's something called I think it's Zopiclone or clonazepam oh, there's lots of things like that but right now I'm being, it's just, everything's being managed by taking this mood stabilizer, which is called Lamotrigin, which interestingly is also used to treat epilepsy. So oh, I know wow. that Zoe also takes Lamotrigin, but for a completely different reason. So, And now when you first got your diagnosis, was it something you took in stride? Like, oh, finally, you know, I'm, uh, I know what is happening to me. Or was it something you kind of had to take a minute to process? Yeah, I didn't believe it at all. Mm-hmm. I, I really didn't. But I, this is coming off the back of not really believing I had depression. So first of all, I thought I've really manipulated everyone around me into thinking I, I'm miserable in some sort of attention-seeking way. So for them to be told that I have bipolar, the what I was told by the psychiatrist, uh, psychologist and psychiatrist, but in the States was, you're not going to believe me, but I'm telling you, you have bipolar. And I know you won't believe me right now. And you're thinking, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I really do. And you have bipolar. And I remember thinking, yeah, but you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And the stuff he was saying is like, right, might take you a few years to come to terms with this. But, you know, we really do think you have it. And it's so interesting now, me looking back to how I processed it then, which just was not really processing it. Because the the big issue is when you're not feeling really high and really low, it's it's a different world. You really think you've made it up. Mm. And I've been very stable with the medication I'm on. Luckily, I'm on the right dose. And I've really learned to live with my condition. And it's so tricky because when you feel quote unquote normal, I, I, I do feel like I've made up. I've made it up. And, and that's something that's so tricky. So I don't think it's really that you ever come to terms with it because your opinion on it and how you feel fluctuates in in a similar way to your mood I suppose and when you feel high it is irrelevant you're like well that great actually it's a good thing so it, it's a difficult question to answer but mm. it's about knowing it doesn't define you and other people around you yeah. don't see it as defining you it's very difficult to remember that when you're in the grips of of mania or you're really depressed because it just consumes you and you can't actually function so 
Yeah. I was going to ask you one of one of the questions that I think I keep coming back to on this podcast, and maybe in some ways I think it's maybe one of the things that we're aiming to do is sort of maybe dispelling myths and common misconceptions. So I suppose I wondered, do you feel in general that there are any particular misconceptions that people tend to often have with regards to bipolar or even in particular, maybe in the media, are there any things that maybe can irritate you that are misconstrued perhaps? Um, Yes, I suppose there is a perception. I don't know why this is necessarily the case, but if you've got depression, it sometimes just seems like, Oh, it doesn't, you don't need to have this crazy label attached to you. Right. Whereas, put a little bit of you feel a bit high and suddenly you're portrayed as this kind of I don't know this person who can never completely out of control and Mm. can't live a normal life and and people just seem to think you're crazy and I think that's very frustrating Mm. because a lot of the time and it's a very negative association with mania right and a lot of the time actually I've had a really positive relationship with me being hypermanic it's really allowed me to tap into my creativity I feel so positive I look at the world a different way I don't think it's all of this horrible this is the worst thing in the world which sometimes the media does seem to portray it as really extreme highs and lows which is obviously how I've described it during this conversation but it's so much more nuanced than that and it's a lot more complex than people give it credit for there are different types and (laughs) I suppose the language is quite funny and sorry Cameron I know you are American and uh, from <laughs> California, but my experience with Californians and mental health is quite funny because everything's just like, oh my God. And he was like so bipolar, I swear. He like graded me a D after I had an A the whole class. I don't understand. And it's like this, the, the way the language is used to describe mental health just doesn't help the stigmas. Mm. Put. I mean, for example, someone saying, I overheard the this girl saying, she's like, I, I, I am literally having a panic attack. It's like, you're not literally having a panic attack. <laughs> you're talking to your friends and you're a bit annoyed because you're a little bit stressed. I mean, that's just not, you know, it doesn't even cover it. So I suppose my frustration with how it's portrayed in the media isn't so much necessarily the media's portrayal, but it's just how it's portrayed and normalised in everyday language. Mm. Well, that, that's also, I was about to say, that's also crazy. You know, there, I'm, I'm doing it myself. But <laughs> I was going to say the irony there, of course, is the fact that the language has continually changed because certain things become politically incorrect. So then for someone to actually be saying, oh, that teacher is so bipolar, it's like, you know, you're, you're almost kind of keep moving the goalposts to, okay, now we're going to have to change it again mm-hmm. kind of thing or whatever. I put my hands up. I think I'm very harsh to myself a lot of the time I'll just be like, oh, no, no, back when I was crazy, back when I was crazy. And I use it too. I'm I'm not immune from using this language, which is quite, I suppose, it's not very sensitive and, yeah, not very PC. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily, I'm very mindful of not putting that onto anyone else. But to myself, I definitely would just say, oh, I was crazy. And I don't, I'm not trying to berate myself. I understand and I know that I wasn't well during these periods. So. I, but there is this strange, I wonder if there's um, something to be said for how you, not even necessarily mental health related, but how you describe and come to terms with your own feelings and how you treat and talk to yourself 
mm-hmm. compared yeah. to how you talk to others. And I'm wondering, because, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know people with bipolar. Um, you're the first uh, friend that I know personally that has bipolar. Is there, I feel like, like you said, representation in the media is so important. Do you feel that there are any TV shows or movies or anything you've seen in the media that accurately, in your opinion, and your experience represents bipolar in a, yeah, in an accurate light? Um, so I can't actually say that I've seen that much, which portray it. Mm. Um, I know that there are certain Carrie Fisher, Stephen Fry, Mm. there are famous people who are very open and, and had been very open throughout their lives about having bipolar as a condition. But the only thing I can say I've seen where it's portrayed and I wouldn't say accurately is I, I watched maybe series one of Homeland I don't know mm. if anyone's seen it, but the main yeah. character in there, I think she has bipolar and it's just quite funny. It's just like, that's not really, there are elements where I saw how she, she was thinking and I thought, yeah, I remember that. But I don't know. I, I think it was all, it's quite difficult to articulate, but it was a little bit glamorized. And, mm. and actually I would say that if you do see bipolar portrayed, it can be, yeah, it, it just has this Hollywood yeah. finesse and and it's glory this glorified edge and it is glamorized and I think that is a bit of a problem because it's just so it is as I said before you know it's really nuanced and but it's not all it it's these there's two extremes in mood it's yes you flip between them but that's not I, I live my life mainly happily in the middle yeah. you know it's not something that's so it, it doesn't take over it's not me and that's another really tricky thing to come to terms with is, is how much agency do you have in those two states? So that's something I find very difficult to come to terms with when I come down from being very high. I've said or done things which I would never do. I really wouldn't. And it's mad because I, and I see evidence of, of it everywhere. I've had, when I, when I get really manic, I'm writing everything down, I'm drawing on stuff. I've, I've uh, drawn in books I mean, just normal books. I've ripped books up. I don't know what I thought I was doing. I think I thought I was being really creative. I was like, wow, I'm going to make this scrapbook. And it's like, you don't make any sense. And and everything connected in your mind. I was like, yes. This so that's in the media when they portray, um, I think her name is Carrie in, in Homeland. They paint her as being, I don't know, they play on her paranoia. And is that making her a good detective or not? Mm. But she also makes these connections. And it's like, wow, she saw someone move a napkin. And that's because she was a little bit manic. And they only moved the napkin in the same way they did in the CCTV and I don't know it, it's all a bit yeah. sometimes it can make sense what you're doing when you're manic and sometimes it really does not make any sense yeah. well that, that that you can't imagine creativity there and that was something I wanted to ask about because maybe this is potentially another myth to dispel but I suppose I've probably felt like what I've observed maybe in the media or, or from fake ideas there's maybe often a thing that antidepressants and medication and stuff can be quite numbing and I wondered from your own point of view because I think of you as quite a creative person have you felt that medication has affected your creativity or in general depending on what your conditions like will affect how creative you are or whatever I just wondered if there was any direct correlation yeah so yes in short I do think that you can be on certain medication and you do feel completely stifled in your creativity don't think any ideas are coming 
it's tricky because naturally, regardless of your mental health status or if you're on or not on medication, your creativity can ebb and flow. It comes in waves. It Sometimes it's like, yes, I'm, I'm really on it. And sometimes you're not. But I would say that a lot of the time when I've been on medication, it does feel like I'm muted. And especially because some, something that it is stopping and is capping is those highs. And it's, and, and by the way, to stress with bipolar 2, it's mainly hypermania, which is actually quite manageable right. unless it goes wrong unless you have no weeks weeks without sleep and then it can escalate into mania which is sometimes what happens but mainly for me I just get these manageable little pockets of hypermania which it's the fun bit mm. it, it feels like everything's worth it right you, you you can say oh that's why I felt so low that's why I felt like I would never be happy again now I am this is great and you want to ride that wave and that's when you really love that creativity that comes with it yeah. and it's like your friend everything I mean I remember days where I, I used to write lots of songs and I remember I woke up in the middle of the night and I just typed and typed and typed and before I knew it I had an entire song which I didn't even necessarily feel like I was doing and it was it was good so, I mean sometimes bear in mind you write stuff and it's awful and now I'm not sure I would see it was particularly good but everyone around me at the time was like wow yeah great <laughs> so um like you you do have these bursts where you feel really confident it's not just you're feeling creative but you have a lot of positive emotion behind it and you have conviction and faith that you are you're doing a good job and that's something really important because when you're feeling very low or certain medication I've been on when you feel very numb and muted how can you be a judge of what's good or not everything's just a you don't have any ideas and b you just think everything is really rubbish and not worthy of even showing anyone and you're embarrassed and yeah I hope that answers your question yeah, yeah. No, that's spot on Is it something that you tend to kind of disclose to sort of like your friends, your partners or like any employers? And if you do, like how soon after meeting them would you kind of like maybe bring it up into conversation at all? I think my relationship with my own mental health has changed a lot over the years and my acceptance of it has also changed and developed. So I'm far more comfortable now sharing my own experiences and my diagnosis with others mm. I'd say quite early on because there was this I was very ashamed for a long time I a as I've gone on about still do feel like I made it all up um <laughs> so then you don't really want to share it with people and no. you also you think they'll judge you in some way but now I it helps the media and the big push to recognize mental health and destigmatize a lot of them but it's still there but I've realized that the people who I want to be friends with and, you know, I want to be in relationships with, I would like them to know the real me as soon as possible. And I've always found this when you're chatting to someone and you're having kind of very boring small talk every single time you see it. it's like, no, if you're going to be friends, jump straight into that friendship. I'm not saying give your life story, but if it then came up in conversation, of course, I'd want to get it out there now because then if someone's going to know and love and respect and like me, then they kind of need to know me and I don't if, if somebody did judge me for it and think oh well I don't want you for you be your friend I think I just have to accept that I wouldn't want that person in my life yeah. but at the same time I understand why people if you haven't come across it don't know anything about it and I, I have a lot of friends who didn't know anything about it and have then had to see me in certain states well not have to and you know shut them in a room and say look at me uh, but just from from my behavior and how I was acting when they saw me or what I was doing on social media you know they they have kind of been on that journey as well with me and seen it and they still out the other side 
feel the same way about me. They don't judge me for any of it, which is so important. I think you just need the right people around you to be open about it. And as for employers and how soon I would say to strangers, I, it's really tricky because you don't want to feel like it defines you. So you don't want it to be you. I don't want to be, oh, I'm Emily and I have bipolar because yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't want the attention to be on that. It shouldn't be on that. I'm me. And it's another problem is I don't want people to think that core elements of my personality are only down to if I was hypermanic or if yeah. I was low. You know, I, I really want to have that sense of me. And that's something that does get very warped with bipolar. And I think from media betrayal, sometimes people do do you get the wrong idea of how like who you are and they just yeah. you're defined by the condition which I just don't see as the case definitely funny as well because you know I think all of us probably have that feeling when you know it's something like employment or whatever that we're all worried that we're going to be defined as it but it's funny that in this podcast we've had so many people on that a lot of us know and I don't think any of us think of you know like Steve the diabetic or you know no. <laughs> Bethany the, the dyslexic or whatever it might oh, that's be. That's what you, you know, saved in as my phone. Do that. Sorry, you, you are saved as Steve the Diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> but it is isn't it funny that that when you're amongst friends or people that you know, you, you kind of have that feeling where where it's not what we're defined as, but yet when we think about something like going for a job or something, yeah. if you had to that down in a form you just assume then that that's you labeled you know exactly it's a really strange dynamic yeah and I think you know like finds like and I feel yeah. like we are very open in accepting uh you know people and you know what what they're going through in their life or whatever so yeah I just wanted to add that little bitterness yeah yeah you find your kind and I mm. I I appreciate that but it is hard when looking for employment you don't want to be immediately labeled on your name tag <laughs> with that yeah. yes. <laughs> hi nice to meet you <laughs> yeah I wanted to add that when it comes to employment another aspect is someone's glancing down a cv or someone's glancing down a form that just becomes a label it is that badge right and it's very difficult to necessarily want to be transparent up front because especially getting a job it's a competition right it comes yeah. down to is that person better than that person and you can't help but feel I mean you see all of these things on forms being like oh a part of the equality act and the mental health act it's like yeah but at the same time if you're picking from three people two of them are down as bipolar and one of them isn't and two of them say sometimes it could impact my ability to work who are you gonna go for mm, and I, yeah. I don't think anyone any employer could hand on heart say that that isn't a factor it might not mean that that influences their decision but it is a factor that's interesting do you I, I guess this is an open question do you guys check that for your disabilities or do you guys leave it blank um I would say very quickly that if it's a, a form where I think I'm going to benefit from be, being you know taking the disability box <laughs> I'll check it. So if it's like a job and I, I know they have to allocate a certain amount, I'll do it. If it's anything that's not that, I'll probably maybe leave it off. Mm. Um. I always check it because I feel like I just need to be upfront straight away. But mm. I can understand people not wanting to kind of label themselves with that. But I just feel like with my dyslexia in particular, like it's a part of me. So mm. I just want to have that in the open and kind of just have it be there straight away 
And that listener is the right answer. Uh, yeah, um, I don't check mine. <laughs> I'm like, <"No> <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we've got we've got a mix. You know, this is yeah. this is life. I just wondered, could you maybe like explain what it's like when you have like a hypermania kind of episode? And when you're in one, do you kind of like believe that you're in that state? Or is it kind of hard to like really identify that that's what's happening to you right then? Yeah, that's interesting to think about because I would say it varies and it depends on at what stage in terms of being diagnosed because mm. obviously initially I, I just didn't really believe it I thought this is just the payoff for having felt so shit for so long what I would say is sometimes I'm aware of it and what it feels like is just a really good night out it feels like you might have taken something you're not meant to take yeah. and you're mm. just kind of coming up and you're this is not me advocating drugs I'm just trying to explain the, the <laughs> feeling because ultimately you imagine that you could, for free and not actually taking anything, take some form of ecstasy or some kind of pill and you can take that. And if you just manage it, you're not taking too much, but if you just managed it, who wouldn't want that all the time, right? But that's obviously not appropriate all the time. So that's when you start realising it's not okay because I shouldn't be sitting in a room in a, in a lecture or something just wanting, you know, really wanting to listen to some music in my headphones or really want to chat to everyone. You know, I can't, I can't stop talking. And I know I talk a lot anyway, but when I'm hypermanic, I really can't stop talking. And despite the fact that I want to listen to people, I just can't seem to shut up. I, I really want to know the answer, but I'll just, I'll speak really fast. You know, I can speak really fast if I want to. I could go that fast. I could even go faster probably. And that is when you start losing the plot a little bit. And I, I, my worst manic experience, I did just start to think that the world revolved around me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought everything was being done for me. It was a, a lot of things that happened to trigger it. I had my grandfather passed away earlier in the year I had a very stressful Mm. run-up but my whole degree was based on my fourth year so it meant that I was yeah under a lot of stress and trying to get my dissertation done I my long-term relationship broke up I I was broken up with so all these factors together then led Mm. kind of open the floodgates if you will for this hypermania to then elevate up into mania and I suppose I knew there was something wrong because I should be really upset about all these things and I just didn't care you know and and I was Mm. I just going on nights out and I was going on nights out night after night not drinking anything not taking anything but I felt like I really had and it felt like the whole world was a party and I kind of thought it was for me (laughs) I kind of did a little bit I remember being in a bar with a group of friends and they were looking up they were looking after me checking on me coming over to see if I was okay but everyone was just sitting drinking and I was in the middle of the dance floor just by myself having a great time and I didn't feel any judgment and now I think I'll be so actually to be fair knowing me maybe I probably would be quite embarrassed and I would fear judgment but I just didn't care it didn't even cross my mind and I thought everyone was loving it and everyone probably was just looking over being like that that girl's a bit weird because I was in Edinburgh so, you know some Scottish judgment thoughts probably came through. And, and and it was just what's next what's yeah. next what's next party what's the next party and everything I set up a Facebook group and it was Edinburgh party planning committee and in my mind mm. I just thought the whole of Edinburgh would join it <laughs> and they were just <laughs> and it stuff yeah. didn't make sense I wasn't I just I was having I was always you know calling people chatting and and that's when I did start to realize 
there was something wrong and everyone around me knew and a psychiatrist was telling me right let's up the dose of the antipsychotic to try and bring you down but you don't want to and the dangerous thing I think is when you get to the point you don't care and you want to ride it and this is the fun this is the reward and that's when it can escalate and then you do start to lose touch with reality and that's when it's it's really out of your control and you you can't manage it by yourself you need like serious intervention it doesn't always get to that point it's only happened once and touch wood it wouldn't happen again but as for if you're aware and what it feels like it depends at what stage you're at and it depends on what's going on around you and if you can afford to take unfortunately you know I just graduated well I hadn't graduated officially but it was around that graduation time I didn't have anything else to do it was my holiday it was my last big holiday so that's why also the conditions were right for that to really escalate yeah so you mentioned medication as a way of kind of managing it and so what do you do to kind of take care of yourself and kind of track if you may have um or you may be going into an episode and do you have certain triggers where you kind of know something may be approaching well first of all I with the medication I'm on right now if I forget to take it for a few days it actually tends to be the opposite and I feel really low Mm -hmm. I the highs right now feel very unattainable I wouldn't know if it was starting because I'd feel that slight buzz and just everything is a bit more HD and everything has a bit more color. And I don't necessarily mean that literally, but it feels that way in the sense of how you perceive stuff. You know, I could stare at a wall for 10 minutes and, and not get bored. And not in, not in that depressed way where you stare at a wall and you can't think of doing anything else. You don't have the energy. I would just be like, wow, look at that wall. I mean, I'm looking at the wall in my, the room I'm sitting in. And it's like, wow, you know, someone painted that. There are little specks, some of the, anyway. So you, you see, I can, if I'm starting to get very excited and getting that slight buzz and and wanting to create and wanting to make things and wanting to communicate with others, that's when I can sense that I was getting a little bit high perhaps. And it just means I need to really be disciplined and make sure it doesn't keep taking my medication and then check in with the doctor and make sure everyone around me also knows and and luckily I'm I'm so fortunate and so grateful for my family I'm so grateful for my friends because without them it's quite scary to think what could happen and you might not be on top of your medication you might just want to stop taking it altogether so having people who know I'm on medication is another thing not just that people know I have bipolar it's that people know I'm on medication as well which I'm really jumping around all the over the place. I'm I'm going back to half an hour ago in terms of what I'm <laughs> chatting about, but it's something that I, I wanted to add was the medication is something that has the biggest stigma, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And I remember being very reluctant to ever go on any medication in my late teens, early twenties. I just didn't want that label. It felt like, nah, I, I don't need it. I'm making it up. And that's something that is becoming more normal, which is a good thing, but it's seen as just taking, you know, medication for diabetes, you know, that that sort of thing. It's 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 becoming more on par with physical health. Yeah. Is there anything we've not discussed that you feel is important mm. to maybe share with the listeners about like your experience or anything like that? Um yeah, I'd give a quick note and this is I suppose to myself more than anyone else is that you are not defined if you have bipolar if you have any mental health condition you're not defined by that it is part of you but it can be manageable and with the right support it's okay it's it's fine to have it it doesn't take away from your life it actually can really positively impact your life but you I would just sort of try and say to people it's okay 
Mm. It really is okay. And and when you do feel the lowest of lows and you don't think it will get better, this doesn't help you when you're feeling that low, but you will get better. I mean, there are times we haven't really discussed the low times, but if I could talk to myself then or see, I would just be, if that person could see me now, like they wouldn't believe I would be doing what I'm doing. They wouldn't believe I, w- I would just be here at full stop. So I, I do think I would try and say, especially bipolar when you're in that mood it feels like you'll never not be in it and that's but you will you will not always be in it and it's okay that's what I try and get across sweet well I mean I I was gonna say for one you know just for the benefit of the listener we had about three goes of trying this and the technology kept letting us down and normally that would really probably set me off in a downward spiral but I kind of feel like I've really enjoyed it today enjoys maybe not the right word but I feel like it has really benefited me for for starters because definitely some days I feel like I'm trying to pull a boat up over a mountain or whatever you might have so I I was going to just say thanks Emily for your insights and the myths that you've dispelled and also the kind of, I, I hate almost being positive sometimes, but you know, th- there's definitely hope in there, which mm. uh, I'm not good at kind of being that, you know, glass half full type person. But anyway, that's a really labored way of saying thanks very much. No, thank you so much for having me. This is the disability podcast so that was emily with her experience of bipolar and i for one found that really interesting thank you everyone for listening and we will be back soon with another episode for you you have a new voice message here are your new messages hey guys i forgot to mention something which I suppose looking back is kind of funny, but when, well, when I'm hypermanic, a lot of the time it's, it's almost like I don't understand the value of money and I just want to spend it on everything. One of those things, doesn't have to be wildly expensive, but one of those things I was in a home bargain shop that you find off the high street and there was this, by the till, there was this stamp, uh, date stamp. So... You know, the one where you can manually move it and then it comes with a little pad and you dip it in. The, the sort of things you had in your library books back in school and like primary school when they would stamp it. Anyway, I saw one of them and it was just this light bulb moment. I was like, my life will be complete when I have this. And I just couldn't imagine how anyone would go through daily life without it. So I bought it and enthusiastically, it was almost like a time machine, right? You change the date and woof. Anyway, God knows, I spent about 350 which I thought was a bargain on that and proceeded to stamp it on anything that I felt warranted a date and God God knows I have fun. To replay the message, press one. To save this message, press two. Welcome to voicemail. The person you're calling can't take your call at the moment. Please leave your message after the tone. Hi, Emily. Uh, I just realized that I forgot to ask you one more question. Um, everyone who's a regular listener to this program knows how much I'm a slut for the celebrity culture. So I was wondering, other than my favorite actor in the world, Joseph Gilgan, maybe you could let us know about any other famous people who suffer from bipolar. Okay, thanks. Bye.
You have a new voice message. Here are your new messages. As for celebrities with bipolar, yeah, there are quite a few of them around. Um, Mariah Carey, um, Carrie Fisher, Stephen Fry. He does a really great documentary, actually. I think it's available on YouTube about his bipolar disorder. Uh, who else is screening tomorrow? Mel Gibson. Might be making up. I don't think I am. Um, and then I do think Kurt Cobain may have had bipolar, although it might have just been depression. I think it might have been diagnosed later on as bipolar. Um, Jimi Hendrix. Mm. I would play Manic Depression if you want to know more about that one. Oh, and uh, maybe Emily Naylor, you might have heard of her. Uh, she's pretty great. Biggest celebrity there is. She's got it. So, yeah. Bye. To replay the message, press 1. To save this message, press 2. To delete the message, press 3. For message details, press 8. Sorry, 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 sorry. That key's not valid.